Welcome to the Three Wins Podcast, brought to you by Legacy Advisory Partners. My name's Sean Lydon, and I am the producer of the Three Wins. And today, Russ Clember, the president at Legacy, speaks with Chris Maynard, co-founder and CEO at Essential Ingredients Incorporated, a chemical distribution company with more than 80 employees and facilities around the U.S. and Canada. They talked about what it takes to cultivate the kind of purpose-driven company that inspires loyalty, generosity, and fun, and generates healthy profits. This episode offers a wealth of business advice with an inspirational message about the many ways in which companies can do good and still do well. If you find this type of content to be valuable, please hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app and please leave a review. This will let us know what you think and also help others find the three wins. Now, on to this next episode of the Three Wins Podcast. Hello, my name is Russ Clemmer. I'm with Legacy Advisory Partners, and this is the next episode of the Three Wins Podcast. We're joined today by Chris Maynard, founder and chairman there over at Essential Ingredients just a, a guy that has a great career leading a business, also family, a leader in his community and in, in church, and just a heart for making businesses do well for all involved. And that's really the nature of the three wins. That's really the nature of what we're trying to accomplish through the three wins conversation. And it's great to have Chris on the podcast today. Chris, thanks for joining us. No, thank you, Russ. It's an honor to be here. Thank you very much. I've got the background in my mind and I've heard some of these great things, but that's what we want to record today and get out to our audience. Some of your story, just personal story, a little bit of background, and then also how you got started in essential ingredients and how you watched that grow into the business that it is. Some of the things that you've been excited about, uh, you know, bringing essential ingredients along, like with the ESOP. And then kind of what you're looking forward to, you know, you, you've had some really great monumental steps throughout the process of being a founder and an owner and a business leader. And, and we know there's, you know, great things ahead. So we look forward to hearing about all of that. But it, just for now, kick us off with just a, a little bit of background of you and where you came from and then how you got into the, the chemical business and, and, you know, where you guys are at now. Yeah, it's a, that's a long, twisty road um, and not one that I would have predicted. I, uh, I grew up in the great state of Ohio, uh, graduated from uh, Miami University there. Um, and uh, when I was at Miami, I was involved in a, uh, in a campus ministry. I actually got involved in quite a bit of overseas uh, missions work. And uh, my dad had wanted me to be a doctor. You know, we had I'd grown up in a, a lower middle class family, I would say, um, always had what we needed and what we, you know, as a kid, I I knew we didn't have a lot of money, but we always had what we needed. Um, Dad was always stressed about money. um, And he wanted me to not have to do that. Right. So he, he said, you know, go, go get a science degree, be a doctor or something like that. So I was a zoology major, uh, pre-med guy. And uh, as I got involved in, in, uh, in this ministry and ended up overseas, I really started thinking about full-time uh, ministry and, and, and uh, missions work. Uh, 
but I, I fell in love with the, the lady who would become my wife on one of these trips, which was against the rules. But, uh, uh, you know, I came back and I asked her father for her hand in marriage and he told me I need to get a job. So, uh, you know, off I went to try to find a, a real job, you know, one to pay the bills on top of my $40,000 in college debt I accumulated uh, trying to work my way through school and uh, ended up working for a chemical manufacturing company out of Chicago. And of course, we got married and relocated to Chicago for about a year and a half. And then they put me, I was a sales guy, they placed me here in the Atlanta area. And I worked for them for about five and a half, six years, I guess. Um, and in that in that process, I was really responsible for that for that company. My role was, was uh, helping our distributors who were in the field. Again, we're a chemical manufacturing company. We had distributors. My job was to help them sell our products more effectively. So I was in the field with their sales reps, meeting with their customers with them, uh, sort of the technical expert. And along the way, I found this fella uh, in Augusta, Georgia. His name is Chris also. And he and I, uh, first time we met, he was fresh back from Desert Storm. And uh, we sat down and had breakfast together. And uh, we both started sharing this sort of hidden desire we had in our in our hearts to start our own business someday. Um, so over a period of he and I becoming friends over, you know, three or four years, uh, we ended up uh, hatching this idea of essential ingredients because here he came from the distribution side. I came from the supply side. And uh, one of our, the frustrations he and I both shared was, was uh, this lack of harmony between the supplier and the distributor. Um, you know, distributors typically have multiple suppliers for a product line because they want to leverage one supplier against another for better pricing, these sorts of things. And as the guy who was in the field with these uh, sales reps, you know, I was was trying to build trust with them. I was trying to build trust with them and their customer. And uh, the, the the methodology of leveraging one against the other was, was uh, a very frustrating thing for me. And as a young seller, you know, I didn't understand exactly what was going on. I just knew that I felt like that it could be different. It could be better. It should be better than this. Uh, so he and I jumped off this cliff together. Both of us had one-year-old baby girls. And uh, our first uh, office space was, uh, he had a friend who ran an office incubator in Augusta. We couldn't afford a real office in the office incubator, which I think was $250 a month. Uh, we ended up renting the server closet in that building, which is where all the phone wires came in and the server wires. Uh, it was about 10 feet by 12 feet, I think, big enough for a desk and a bookshelf. And uh, we just needed somebody to answer the phones for us. And that was $125 a month, I remember. We had two Skytel pagers and two used cars, and off we went. Um, and, uh, you know, somehow, some way, uh, you know, we just kind of gritted it out and I quit first, uh, you know, and I started, he joined about two or three months later after we had a little bit of sales under our belt. And, uh, you know, both of us uh, just found a way to, to scratch and claw. And uh, again, from the outset, we didn't know exactly what it was going to be, but we knew we wanted to have uh, sort of this uh, a different approach to the way we, we handle our suppliers and have more dedicated relationships and, and really this idea of selling relationships, not chemicals, you know, and, and, and building all this on a foundation of trust. So that was in 19, May of 1996, uh, you know, so 25 years ago this year, we were, we're so going to celebrate 25 years uh, coming up and, um, uh, you know, super thrilled about the way God's blessed what we're doing here. So.
That's wonderful. And, and so you kind of talk about essential ingredients coming out of a, you know, a, a closet and, and, but that's not what it is today. It's, no, it's uh, in a different form and it's doing different things and y'all probably have four or five, uh, you know, server clauses of your own that, you know, you guys are, are, are running out of. And so tell me, to, you know, kind of fast forward a little bit and tell me a little bit about essential ingredients today, and where it is and what you guys are looking forward to. Well, today we've got, uh, I think, 84 full-time employees. Um, you know, we, we've got a warehouse and office here in the, in the uh, Gwinnett County, Georgia area where headquarters is, but we've got seven additional warehouse locations around the country in Canada. Uh, so we have, have expanded not only nationally, but also internationally now into Canada. Um, we, uh, uh, of course, have our own laboratories and technical services here where we're, we really consider ourselves sort of a, uh, a consultant to our customers, particularly in the personal care and the HINI, what we call HINI, industrial chemicals area. Uh, and really, I think, uh, reputation-wise, have become known as, uh, as one of the premier suppliers, chemical distributors in, in, the, in that space, particularly personal care. So um, in 2011, we... Uh, um, uh, you know, as, as as developing shareholders, owners in the business, we were wrestling with what do we do with this business long term? And, uh, and I, I, there's an interesting story I can tell you about that if you care to hear it. But, uh, you know, we didn't want to sell to a competitor. We had seen a number of our friendly, smaller regional competitor, uh, competitors sell to uh, competitors. We had seen what private equity does in a lot of cases to uh, good cultures. Sure. Uh, so we chose a different path and that was employee ownership. So uh, we sold 100% of the business yeah. to an ESOP in 2011. And that was a big part, I think, of, of uh, has become a big part of who we are today. Yeah, it, well, go ahead and share that. I'd love to hear it and I know the audience would as well. How'd y'all get to that point where and, and, and I know there's a little story about uh, kind of how you did the reveal, which is, uh, you know, special in and of itself. Walk us through a little bit of that, because I think that, you know, when we when you have people who, uh, you know, have grown a company, uh, they're not really sure what the next generation of ownership needs to look like, should look like. You know, not everybody's got a, a you know, a son or daughter or multiple that want to come up and, and take it over. Not a, not everybody's got a natural market uh, and not everybody's got a, you know, a, a culture that they can lean on. Right. And, you know, to be able to, to just get into the idea of an ESOP, some things have to be in place. So I want to dig into some of those. But really, how did you all get to that decision for yourselves? Well, again, I so. Uh you know, we, at the time we had three three owners, right? So Chris and I had found founded the business. We brought in a third uh, minority shareholder. About two years into the business, we were having some cash issues, and uh, we needed some help. And, and this fellow was super talented, so he came in and, and became a third owner. But so here was three guys, all about the same age, um, and. Uh, we were trying to figure out, you know, we knew at some point we needed to unravel this thing and uh, we wanted that to go well. We were friends. Um, so uh, the idea of, of, of being, uh, this being a generational business was sort of off the table because we had three selling shareholders, right? And, and right. Right. Had kids. 
that were necessarily at the age or stage or had an inclination, I think, uh, to maybe get involved in the business. So, you know, the generational passing on to the kids was sort of off the table. As I mentioned, uh, private equity or venture cap, um, you know, I just I had seen so many train wrecks with uh, uh, if you, you hit your wagon to a, you know, a party that's got really just strictly a financial outcome in mind, uh, which in those cases, really, by definition, that's their that's their primary goal is to is to generate cash for their investors, a return on investment. Um, you know, I've seen that go sideways so many times because people make, you know, different decisions, you know, for that output yeah. than would otherwise. So, um, and similarly for selling to a competitor, uh, you know, it, I was quite certain that if we sold to a major competitor, they would probably, they, they may handpick some of our sellers, some people from headquarters would probably go along for the ride, but a lot of people would be looking for jobs. And and those were things that uh, just made us really, really uncomfortable. And so this, the story was, um, this is uh, 2011, so we're 15 years old now, and we had invited everybody in for uh, under the guise of a 15-year uh, anniversary. So we had rented a ballroom, uh, brought everybody in, and, and I was responsible for sort of setting the table in the, in the keynote that uh, that evening. And as I was uh, talking about the state of the business and what we were doing, and, and uh, you know, I sort of told that story. I, I said, you know, there comes a time in every business when uh, ownership's got to transition. You know, and we've we as uh, uh, as uh, shareholders have been really wrestling with this this idea of private equity or selling to a competitor or uh, you know the generational uh, opportunity. And uh, none of those were great avenues for us. But I, I did say, I, you know, I'm here to tell you today we have sold the company. We sold the company this morning. And there was total silence in the room, right? So we got like, I think 45 of us yep. in the time. Just absolute, I mean, just deep gasp you know, where people are just, what is he saying? And uh, and I said, in fact, the uh, the new owners of Essential Ingredients are in, here in the room with us tonight. And uh, and I said, and so we had a couple of attorneys who had helped us with the, uh, the ESOP transaction in the back of the room. The only people in the room who had ties on, right? And uh, I said, with the new owners of Essential Ingredients, please stand up for me. And a couple of these guys in the back of the room sort of did these fake stand-ups, and everybody's looking around the room wondering, who, who, who could it be? And uh, one of, our, one of our, uh, our employees was there on the front row, Joy, uh, who was our receptionist for many years, older lady. And I said, Joy, I said, would you mind standing up for me? And then she stands up, and I, she really quizzical look on her face, and I said, Joy, can you tell me how long you've been with the company? And she said, well, I've been here eight years. And um, I said, Joy, thank you for standing. Would you please remain standing for me? And I looked to her, uh, right next to her, one of our warehousemen was standing there and asked him to stand up and ask him the same question. And he's looking around really confused. And you know, I had about a dozen people finally stand up. And, and uh, at the end of that, I said, would you all please stand up for me and let me introduce you to the new owners of Essential Ingredients. And it's you all because we today, this morning, we became an employee-owned company. And uh, you are now the, uh, the employee owners of Essential Ingredients. And we're going to spend all day tomorrow, I told them, you know, you know unpacking what this means to you. Um, and we spent a little bit of time that, that evening on it, but we had brought in a team of professionals to help sort of educate our folks and kind of get them through this initial shockwave of what's going on. Um, but that was really, I think, a big, 
big turning point for us in terms of at least the trajectory of the company and what we wanted to do with it. it uh, people have asked me before, you know, did the people behave differently after that event than they did before? And and I, I would tell you, not really. I mean, I, we, we were always what I would say a people first organization and just the way we cared for our people. We, uh, we had a profit sharing program before the ESOP, which, so the ESOP sort of replaced our profit sharing. Uh, we had always uh, tremendous benefits for our, our people. At one point we actually had cleaning services. Uh, everybody got their house cleaned once, uh, you know, once a month and um, little things like that, because we had a number of single uh, mothers, you know, that were working for us. And we just really wanted to just sort of, go above and beyond in the way we cared for our folks and show them how much we appreciated uh, their efforts. And, and really the, the ESOP was an outcropping of bad. It was rewarding our people for helping build this business and continuing to help build it, uh, you know, the balance of their careers as long as they wanted to stay here. So. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, there's so many, and you know, I'll say that there's ESOPs and then there's ESOPs and really the, the ESOP, from a financial mechanism, uh, it, it's it's got some you know different moving parts, and you really kind of have to know what you're getting into uh, as an owner, right? You had to do your due diligence, you had to do your homework, but it's really a a, a great tool for not only accomplishing how to take three owners that don't want to go private equity, don't have a generational opportunity, really take three owners and allow them to exit. Uh, you know, from a from a, a, a long term pr- uh, transition perspective, allow them to exit the ownership of the company. But what it also sets up is this: uh, the other two, what we call of the three wins, the shareholder win is number one. But then you have the corporate win and all the stakeholders involved, and then you also have uh, the 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 key leader win, kind of the group of people who are not owners, but also know the trade secrets and and you know you don't want them going off on their own. So that that story takes everybody into account. That story allows everybody to be a part of how do we make this place better and how we allow it to be successful for really generations to come. And that's what that's what we love about ESOPs. And, you know, they're family-owned businesses that we really admire, we really like, and if that's the, the path forward for them. But um, often there are folks who choose the ESOP just because of one of those, one of those wins. And they, they don't really pay attention to what they can do. And so either it's not done incorrectly or there's just some steps along the way to where it's not communicated well. And I really admire the steps that y'all took really to, to, to you know, bring the communication to folks so that from the receptionist all the way up to the ownership group, people understand why it's important for them how it can help change their lives and what it means for them from a culture and appreciation standpoint also. Yeah, I, I do. You know, there's, there's, there's a number of horror stories out there about, you know, ESOPs that have been, uh, and just like anything in life, you know, things can be and any good tool can be misused. Right. So, um, sure. there's, there's just so many, uh, there, there's, there's stories about there where the motivation, you know, of the selling shareholder, uh, was really sort of uh, was was self-serving in the in the reason they did the ESOP from the beginning, and they had sort of a manipulation approach from the get-go. And uh, uh, so again, just like any anything in life, you know, it can be misused. Uh, so I think when I often talk about 
ESA officer, if somebody asked me about that, you know, one of my early questions is, what's your motivation for doing this? You know, why would you want to yeah. do that versus, you know, maybe selling to a, a competitor of private equity? If, if financial output is your primary goal, um, ESOP is probably not the best way to do that. Um, if you're trying to do something that you want to reward your folks and to build something to last, you know, well beyond you and, um, and you see, you know, an opportunity to serve the community where uh, this business is, uh, you know, I think an ESOP is a fabulous way to do that. So um, it really, that motivation question is key, I think, to ask, you know, for somebody who's, who's contemplating this, you know, why would you, why would you potentially take this route? Uh, ESOPs aren't cheap to implement. You know, there's, there's a lot of people involved in terms of the, the legal expense. Um, it's complex. It's complicated. It's not, you know, I don't want to overstate those things because it's very manageable. But um, uh, the motivation is, is a, key, a key question that needs to be asked. Yeah, so let's move in a little bit of, of, um, of course, you know, your information is, is you know, people get in touch with you. If somebody's in the audience listening to the podcast, they can or watching the podcast, they can say, "Hey, I got more questions about that. That's that's interesting. You know, it's come up before, but I hadn't really understood what it meant." And you know, it, hopefully, this is this is reaching the folks who want to maintain a great culture to want to find some sort of transition plan that could benefit their people for long term, uh, you know, long time. And that's exactly what it is. So we'll put some, some follow, you know, ways to get in touch with you there. But it, so you've expressed some, some different uh, leadership and management uh, uh, ahas uh, along the way that have really excited you. And, and I'd love to, for you to kind of walk through some of those. And I'm sure, you know, some of those are pre-SOP and some of those are post-SOP and uh, walk through some of the things that, you've learned along the way is not just being an employee of a company that you own, right? You, but also being a leader of people, a leader of a culture, a leader of really influential in the greater uh, ESOP and, and long-term planning business community. Tell me some of the, kind of walk us through some of those things. Yeah, I would say, um, so you know, we did the ESOP in 2011, right? Uh, I, I tell these, it's better for me to tell stories. I think that, um, in 2014, uh, you know, we were, we were still growing as a company, um, but we had really managed the business at the time as, a, as there was really four of us kind of running the business or different pieces of the business. And we had gotten away with that all these years, uh, but now we're approaching 60 to 70 million in revenue, and we started to feel a little bit of strain just in terms of the management, uh, uh, the, the the organizational design. So, um, and then at the time, actually, you know, we had a competitor approach us, and and uh, you know, they got pretty serious with us, and we were having you know in depth conversations, and uh, I had rationalized in my mind. Uh, you know, that, you know, we could, we've, we've done the ESOP now, if we end up selling the business to these folks, uh, you know, our folks will get a handsome reward as a result of that. And, um, you know, we could sort of, I could have a clean conscience, right? Um, you know, we end up in these, uh, in this, in this particular meeting and, and things just aren't going well. It's, it's very clear to me and it becomes very clear to my, uh, you know, to my, uh, to the other executives in the room that, our worst nightmares would come true if we continued down this path. They would, they would parse and parcel the business, uh, 
financial output is their is their primary concern. Uh, so we ended up walking away from that meeting and saying, we're, we're just, that's confirmed for us all over again why we're not going to do that. Um, but we came out of that meeting and we still had a broken management structure. And uh, we got together with the board. You know, the board, uh, I drew the short straw. We ended up, you know, electing me as CEO. And, and at, at that point, it was really just thinking about, okay, how are we going to structure this thing for the long-term survivability of this business? So I found myself on a bit of a quest, uh, you know, over a, a couple year period, I was reading just about every management book I could get my hands on. Uh, and I, I really just felt odd. I felt like a, um, I felt like what I, what I, we wanted this business to be in terms of you know, we cared for our people and our communities and, and the way we t- treated our suppliers and our customers. Uh, you know, the financial output was, 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 certainly critical, but it wasn't the thing we were after. And uh, in so many circles I ran in, I would ask CEOs, you know, what's the purpose of your business? And they would, they would almost always say it's to maximize shareholder return, right? Or to maximize profits. And, uh, and I knew in my heart that was, that was important because we had to be a profitable business, but it wasn't why we existed. Um, you know, so we got together as a, as a team and we came up with our purpose statement, which is to be a blessing uh, to others and inspire them to be a blessing as well. So with that, with that purpose in mind, sort of our North Star, um, you know, I went on this quest trying to find out, you know, are there other people out there like me? And in fact, I was, I was running Disney Marathon with a friend of mine and, and uh, at one stretch in the Disney Marathon, I'm not sure if the race is still structured this way or not. It probably is because everything's flat in Florida. But at one point, you're literally running out this flat, straight road for about a mile or two. I can't remember how far it was, but it was hot and it was straight and it was flat. And uh, it's just he and I running and we're kind of broken up at this point. It's late in the race. But there's a number of people running you know, on the other side of the lines behind going the other way. And there, there's a lot of them. And uh, he and I are going this way. And I... And it was a surreal moment for me because I thought, man, I feel like I'm swimming upstream in business. And I'm thinking this as we're running this race, you know, I feel like everybody's going the other way and we're the only ones going this way. Um, But I was fortunate to find a couple of uh, communities. One was called Small Giants Community. I read a book called Small Giants by Bill Burlingham. And then another group called uh, the Tugboat Institute. uh, Where I was, I, I identified these other leaders of businesses you know, who had these same uh, strong passions with, res- with regard to having a purposeful business, taking care of their people, um, uh, understanding that, you know, things have to be, the business has to be profitable, but uh, that wasn't the number one thing. It was truly the output of running a great business. It wasn't the business, the purpose for the business itself. So, um, you know, I, one of the management systems that I discovered in that period of time was called the Great Game of Business uh, by a good friend of mine, Jack Stack, um, uh, you know, who runs the Great Game of Business organization, um, as well as an, a group of companies called SRC Holdings out of out of uh, Missouri. But, uh, you know, the idea of getting your folks aligned around a common purpose, around, uh, you know, opening up the books, open book management is really the theme of it. Uh, so your folks right. understand and how the business makes money. How do we lose money? How come what's my role in that? I every day I come to yeah. work and then incentivizing the entire team on the same uh, incentives, uh, you know, versus having, uh, you know, your, your logistics and your inventory team over here trying to keep inventories low and your sales team over here who's trying to sell stuff and there's no 
you know, there's nothing on the shelves because these two departments are competing with one another. Uh, the idea of getting them all focused on the same thing is just a super powerful tool for us. So those are just some examples of things that uh, that we've utilized over the years that uh, I think have allowed us to just really accelerate, uh, uh, you know, this idea of, of uh, remaining independent. Um, and at the same time, you know, we're at the stage now in, in, in our business where we're trying to diversify a little bit more, not just the distribution business, but um, uh, we're actively looking at building our own warehouse, uh, you know, up 85 and uh, probably offering services to other folks as a result of that. Um, and other business concepts and ideas as we think about diversifying, uh, you know, some of the things that we're involved in. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, understanding kind of tugboat Institute, different things like that. It, it, what are some of the, what are some of the things that come out have come out of that? Uh, you mentioned the seven P's and, 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 you know, some of some of the things that they kind of hang their hat on because, you know, in our world, and there's no silver bullet, right? There's a there's a, a mutual agreement among the people who are leading and working in the company to pursue a common vision, like you're talking about, pursue a, a common uh, course of excellence, a path of excellence to whatever you're trying to achieve. So whatever those common denominators are in, in the, the way that you say, yes, this is how we're going to operate together. Uh, that's really your thumbprint, you know, the, 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 the unique culture that comes up in your organization. And while you have that, you know, it's, it's learned and expressed in different ways. And through legacy, we use something called the great eight, which is uh, we talked about on the podcast before, which is uh, eight beatitudes found in Matthew five. And so if you live those out and, and, you know, there's no, you know, specific, um, there's no specific, uh, you know, how to that you have to live those out. We have some ideas. We have some workshops that we put in to live out those different virtues. But there's eight virtues and there's eight course vices. And if you work together to encourage each other to defend against and, and, and hold off the vices and work together to promote the virtues, then great things can happen within the organization uh, emotionally, uh, spiritually. And of course, financially, right? And that's, you know, it's a for-profit business. Nobody has a problem with making money, but the way you do it and what you set out to do and the vision you're going after is very, very important. But what we found is that every culture is a little bit different and you express your values in a little bit of a different way. But really what's important is that everybody knows how to express them the same way and that really is is kind of come up in, in I think that's what you know you guys have been able to do as well through some of this management growth that you've kind of been able to pioneer in your role uh, is to be and that's what I've noticed in essential ingredients and in, in talking with different folks is that everybody's got the same line of sight. People know where they're going, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it, which is really really important. Um, but walk us through, if you don't mind, walk us through some of those seven P's and why those were influential to uh, you and your growth. Yeah, I, I guess before we get to the seven P's, I, you know, one of my, um, going back really to the beginning, uh, you know, uh, sort of our family verse, uh, you know, in the Mayor household has always been, you know, Philippians chapter two, he talks about uh, considering others as more important than yourself, right? And and that's always struck me yeah. in 
is, you know, this idea of, you know, businesses are there to serve others. You know, but most people get that backwards, right? And they sort of, it, somewhere along the way, it gets twisted and customers are there. We're supposed to, you know, we're there to milk as much from kind from our customers or suppliers or whatever. And, and uh, I think that's one of the things that we have uh, fortunately been able to emphasize over the years in the way we sort of care for each other here. I, you know, I talk about my three-legged stool speech with our folks and it's, uh, there's three legs on the stool and one is our customers. You know, we take fantastic care of them and we just try to understand what their needs are and try to go above and beyond. We talk about delighting our customers, not satisfying, right? And we want to have these wow experiences with our customers and them to walk away from an interaction with anyone that they have the opportunity to interact with here at Essential Ingredients, just saying, wow, I mean, what just happened, right? I mean, we've all had those moments when you buy something, it could be a great restaurant you went to, or, uh, you know, you bought a car and this, this, you know, it wasn't the experience you expected, right? Because car experiences are usually not great. Um, but uh, you've had those handful of experiences where it's like, that was a fantastic interaction. I would have paid more for that, right? I mean, it was that was well worth it. Um, yeah, so that's great. one of the things in the stool. One is our suppliers. Obviously, as a distributor, we're reliant upon these suppliers that we've, we, we, we have contractual obligations to. We've got performance uh, metrics that we've got to hit and, um, so we're trying to wow them too, right? And we we're trying to we're trying to uh, you know earn additional geographies from them. We're trying to uh, get high marks, awards. You know, I mean, really, we we want to we want to do a good job for our suppliers. And then the third leg of the stool is one another, right? How do we treat one another? And it's this idea of of again considering others as more important than ourselves. Um, you know, and and uh, resisting that temptation to be selfish in the way we uh, we carry ourselves to work every day, and the way we interact with others, and that if we if we utilize a three legged stool all the time, considering again others more important than ourselves, whether it's one another, our customers, or our suppliers, you know, the magic just sort of happens. Um, and again, most companies focus on the output. The output being share price, profit, revenue, whatever that output might be. And they consider that as most important. And typically that sacrifices something on that other side of the equation, the customer experience, the way we care for our people. We may, you know, if we have a bad quarter, we may lay a few people off or trim back on benefits or find a way to, to again, e- equalize the equation. So this one over here is paramount. And um, we've always resisted that temptation. And, and, and uh, there's been years when we haven't been as profitable as we could have, you know, had we focused on that output, but we're okay with that. Uh, one of the one of the P's, now we'll get to the P's of the evergreen, um, you know, one of them is perseverance, you know, so it's this idea of, of building something to last, uh, you know, over a long period of time. Another one is pragmatic innovation, you know, getting creative with innovation and making sure that's always at the forefront, um, yeah. you know, getting creative on how we how we do things. We recently, um, in the last couple of years, have been uh, uh, experimenting with robotic process automation, mm-hmm. uh, allowing machines, computers, uh, machine learning to handle a number of tasks that our folks have traditionally done. Uh, and machines do these more effective than we, they, we do. I mean, computers are just, they, they count better, they, they keep track of things better, they, they remove human error. Now, our folks, when we first talked about doing this, there were some people about concerned about their job. You know, is this going to mean I don't have a job anymore? After our intention in doing that wasn't to eliminate jobs. It was to allow machines to do what machines can do and allow humans to do what humans can do. Nobody lost a job in that, in that, uh, in that effort. And it did uh, allow us to, to uh, 
get better at what we were doing already and redeploy our people more to more human-human interactions, which is really where the value uh, is for, for humans. So, um, of course, another one of those P's is being privately held. You know, uh, we've already talked, you know, at, at what ownership can mean to you and who owns you can dictate uh, you know, sort of the purpose of the business. So being privately held, being able to control your own destiny, being able to make those critical decisions internally um, is a big part of that. Um, paced growth, one of the P's, right? So it's this idea that we can sacrifice a great year if we have to for the good of the organization or for the good of our people. We don't have to hit it out of the park every single year. You know, we, 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 I've noticed we our, our sites are a little bit further out there. Now we're looking at four or five year horizons for, you know, what we really want the organization to look like. Uh, we, of course, we have a budget every year and we've got targets and we reward on those targets. But um, if we miss, it's not the end of the world. Nobody's going to lose their job. Um, so it's this idea of pace growth. We can have a bad year once in a while or an off year and, uh, and be comfortable with that because we, we realize that we are in this for the long haul. Um, people first. Another one of the super critical uh, P's for us around here is this idea of, again, making decisions with our people at the forefront, um, uh, making sure they understand, the, you, know, the, the, you know, what we're trying to do as an organization, their critical role in that, uh, that we are investing in them, that we want to understand and help them understand what their gifts are so that we can clearly align what their natural gifts are with the job that they get to do every day. Uh, you know, when Gallup tells us that 70 to 80% of people come to work every day and they hate their jobs, you know, that's just, they hate their jobs. Um, that is a sad, sad state of affairs uh, that, uh, you know, I feel like we've got an opportunity to help remedy in a very small way. Uh, so this idea of, of, of giving folks uh, alignment with their natural giftedness and the job they get to come and do every day and the fantastic people they get to do it with um, is an opportunity for us. Another one thing that Gallup tells us is people don't have a best friend at work, right? They don't respect their manager. Um, you know, these are all uh, sad truths that uh, the American workforce is faced with. And it's no wonder that, uh, you know, people don't, don't want to go to work because um, they, uh, they don't have many opportunities. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, this idea of purpose, you know, what is the purpose of the organization? Have that clearly aligned again, as I've already stated, you know, ours is to be a blessing to others and expire them to be a blessing as well. It's not to maximize profit. It's not to maximize share price. Uh, again, we yeah. know profitable. That's one of the P's, but uh, uh, this idea of having a purpose that clearly the organization can get around. Um, we talk a lot about clarity and alignment here, you know, understanding, getting clear, crystal clear clarity on what we're trying to get done and then making sure everyone is aligned and, and incented and aligned on, more, and on, on making sure that we get there. So uh, those seven P's are and that, that organization, Tugboat Institute is, uh, you know, it's a group of about 200 plus CEOs right now, all with this idea of, of building companies to last a hundred years or more. Um, some of them are much further along than that than us. Uh, some are behind us, uh, but it's, it's very encouraging to get with folks like that. Um, and it makes you just not feel as alone and as much of a freak as, as I've probably uh, seen <laughs> too many folks because, uh, you know, they, they find that commonality and people who you, you, you enter the room and they already understand where you're coming from is a very uh, refreshing thing. 
Yeah, yeah. Somebody was 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 talking about this, the essence of fellowship. You know, being around like-minded individuals who who are uh, running that same race and pursuing those same ends. And I think the theme, the theme of what I heard about you, what you just talked about, and what is so important is uh, is a perspective. If you are if you are chasing short-term uh, returns, if you're chasing short-term uh, you know, impacts on moving the needle. If your goals are short term, then you're going to make decisions in a short term fashion. But if you can pause and really sit down and look at what you want long term, which, you know, you say, well, it makes sense in business. But honestly, a lot of people who don't do it in business, they don't do it anywhere else either. It's not something that they do in their personal lives. It's not something that they do in their family. You know, so sitting down and saying, what does a long-term vision or long-term purpose or long-term goal, what do we really want out of this? And then managing with the seven Ps, the eight virtues, different things that you go and learn, like saying you, you read a lot of books because there's a lot of truth out there. There's a lot of different ways of looking at it. But what do you need to do and how do you make decisions to manage towards those goals? And and especially after you've had people kind of weigh in and say, yeah, I'm about that. I'll get on that train and I'll help you in your organization get to that end. That's really where it gets fun. But if you're making that short-term goal, there's really only one reason to make these short-term decisions and it's out of a pursuit of a number, or and or a combination of fear. Yeah, fear is a big thing that uh, uh, you know. As we brought in uh, talent from outside, in particular, uh, you know, and you've got these folks who have worked in different organizations, right? Organizations who are who think differently than we do, right? And who are typically after the number. You know, and you've got these folks who come to us, and their knee-jerk reaction is to make you know decisions, you know, because the boss at the old place. You know, that's what they wanted. And so it wasn't necessarily a people first decision. You know, it wasn't a pace growth decision. It was, you know, so there's an element of retraining and reeducation that has to happen, you know, really sort of deep down inside at the heart level, um, you know, where these folks have been, you know, sadly judged, their performance has been judged on on, on what I would say is is doing counter to what we want or need to, how we behave here. Um, Yeah. And very talented folks, right? But I mean, they just have have come out of a world that uh, you know does it very very differently than we do. So um, it, it takes some time, I think. Um, you know, we're, we're big fans of the, uh, uh, a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, Just in terms of particularly at the senior team, getting our senior team aligned. Um, you know, using his pyramid. Uh, you know, sort of five dysfunctions pyramid, you know, with trust being at the very base of that, right? The importance of trust, particularly among a great team. And then, uh, yeah, I think one of the hardest things we've had to work on around here has been healthy conflict. Uh, you know, and we're, we live here in the South, right? We, we've got the disease of niceness, I think. It's hard for us to, to, yeah. to disagree with one another sometimes, and we don't know how to do that constructively. That's been a huge thing that we've worked on here, and um, they don't have any trouble with that anymore. I can tell you, um, they have a uh, conflict with me all the time, but, um, but we do it in a very constructive and polite way. And we're so kind to one another in tremendous respect. And just because 
I disagree with you doesn't mean I'm disloyal to you, right? I mean, it just means that we were looking at this thing differently. We are going to get a better answer if we have healthy conflict and dialogue around this topic, um, uh, you know, on the outside versus just doing what I say or, you know, me letting them do what they need to do. Or, uh, so uh, I'm super proud of our folks, super proud of our team for uh, the journey we've been on. And, and uh, yeah. it's, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Well, and, and part of that three wins process is the third win where you've got these key folks who, you know, they could, they could uh, very well at some point go and do it on their own. You know, they may have a spark of entrepreneurialism that they may, you know, and, and, but if they've got a great place to be, if they're a part of the bigger conversation, if they're part of the uh, formation of the vision and the purpose and where they're trying to go, and what they're trying to do, there's no reason to go and, and risk all of that, you know, trying to, 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 to create the, you know, recreate the wheel and do their own thing if there's a place to do it right. And so the good that you get some of those in and then they tell their friends who are also great leaders, they also want a place where they can invest uh, from a talent and skill standpoint and feel rewarded for what they're doing and be a part of. And to me, that's the beauty of getting that you know, getting that uh, the, the, that culture right, it takes care of so many different things. It takes care of recruiting in many ways. It takes care of retention in many ways. It takes care of of where you know what, innovation in many ways because you've got people who are thinking about it, not thinking, oh, I've got so much to do, or I'm going to be in trouble, or I've got so. What they think about is, I've got so many good ideas, and everybody needs a break and, a, and PTO and time away to refresh and recharge. But they're thinking about it, and it doesn't drain them. Right. It's yeah, something yeah. that that live and and, and and charges them up. Yeah. So we um, there have been examples. I think you, you know, even if somebody does. Uh, get that entrepreneurial bug here and they learn, you know, we, we, we have the opportunity to teach them, you know, some of these tools and they, uh, one of the things we've come to peace with is, is if somebody does that and then, and that's the way that we can fulfill our purpose by being a blessing to others, inspire them to be a blessing as well. If that means them going and starting a new business and employing people and using some of these same practices and how they care for their people using the seven P's, for example, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, and, and, um, We'd love for him to stay here, uh, you know, but if, if multiplying what we do, and I believe businesses have an opportunity to really impact, the, you know, the, the world for good, um, if that means, uh, you know, we're a small seed that, you know, spawns off other entrepreneurs and they get to go do different things, hopefully not competing with us, but, um, you know, doing different things and, and doing those in, in, with excellence, then, uh, you know, I'm certainly comfortable, uh, you know, with our purpose being filled out in that way. So, yeah, you, you're really you're really taking the assignment of saying, you know, if you're not going to be here, you know, forever, then wherever you are, take these things. Yeah. yeah. You're teaching people tools to use, whether it's essential ingredients, but also when they're at the next place, wherever that is that, you know, the Lord leads them and moves them on to in their life. Yeah, we just had a young fellow who was in our logistics department just left us two weeks ago to go start his own trucking company. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that we can be a customer and, you know, we can we can help get him off. And, you know, it's one of those situations I sat down with him and we talked about it. And I, you know, I made sure he understood the weightiness of the decision. And, um, you know, he certainly did. And, you know, but 
I was him once upon a time, right? And uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand in his way. And uh, you know, I, I feel like we've uh, we've had a good influence on him, and he's he's learned a lot here, and he can go do something great. You know, we, I want to be in his, I want to be in his cheering corner, not working against him. So, <clears throat> yeah, and, and I think that's really the the, um, the the beauty of the position that you're in, and what you want your other leaders to be in. You're not afraid of change. You're not afraid of, you know, some of the investment that you've made going out somewhere else. And, you know, if you never talk to that person again, it's still not a bad investment taking care of that individual. It's not a bad investment to care for that person. And, you know, what you end up doing is, is creating a, a, you know, a family-like atmosphere um, and a lot of folks have never experienced that in their own family and they come to work and they find out, wow, this is, this is, you know, how it can be. This is really what it looks like to care for someone. And, you know, kind of going back to, you know, the, the Philippians too, that you mentioned, um, you know, it's a testimony in and of itself showing people how to, how that can be possible uh, without feeling vulnerable for somebody to to come back and you know flip the switch on, or they think they see it's real, they see it's sincere, and they see how that can be you know valuable in their own life. That's a that in and of itself is a real encouragement. You know, no matter what you're you're doing, you know, uh, from a from a what, you know, Simon Sinek start with why he talks about the the what is chemical, and that's the beauty of it. You guys know why you're doing it, you know how you're doing it, and the what just happens to be chemicals, right? You got to know what you're doing. You got to know what you're doing, but it's still, you know, kind of that last leg of that, of that formula. Yeah. So this, you know, that, that gives us a lot of freedom when your purpose is something as, as, as grandiose as being a blessing to others and inspire them to be a blessing as well. Right. It's, um, it, you know, it, it's allowed us to dream about, you know, how do we impact our community here? Uh, you know, we've got a partnership yeah. with the uh, women and children's shelter up in Gainesville, uh, called my sister's place that we do some things with and, and we're working on some job training opportunities there uh you know with them it yeah. uh, just gives us you know we we offer service time off you know for our people to go actually get involved in the community as part of their 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 benefits package um we're on the cusp of uh, uh i'm not sure when this is going to air but <laughs> um, we're getting ready to real review what we call the living wage program where we want our folks to all you know have a minimum uh, income for what we believe is, uh, you know, to, in order to get by in sort of the Gwinnett County area, what, you know, what's a minimum uh, sort of living wage that they need to have in order to do that. So um, it'll be higher than most folks, but we expect a lot of our folk, people to, and there's, there's a degree of excellence, but um, you know, those are just some examples of the way that we feel like, uh, you know, we can do things uh, a little bit differently. We are not perfect here. Please don't uh, hear me saying that. We got tons of room for improvement, starting with me. But, um, uh, you know, there's a, we're really, I think, open to this, uh, this idea of, you know, in thinking about that purpose, you know, how far can that take us what, as we dream about that, this idea of being a blessing to others? What does, what, what doors does that open for us? Um, and again, this, this, chemical distribution thing is just happens to be the what for that business. Uh, but how can we impact people's lives as a result of that? Yeah. Yeah. When, whenever we talk through at legacy, we talk through the, the numbers and um, you know, when we talk about the wins, starting with the 
shareholder win and then the corporate win, which has all the um, all the stakeholders, different stakeholders in it. And then the key leader win, you know, sometimes people are, hey, you're talking about money a lot. You're talking about numbers a lot. And so that's where we, we talk about the eight virtues as a culture piece. Because at the end of the day, if you have those eight virtues and you've defined the wins, right? We're not just leaving them open-ended saying maximize, maximize, maximize. You've defined the wins and you've got three wins that are defined and people can get around those. And the eight virtues are the way that you operate and conduct yourself in pursuit of those three wins in the vision. Then you have a plan. You, you have something in place that you can go and pursue and that looks different for different companies and the way they come about that. But the idea is what we call the collaboration effect on profits. Hmm. And so when you're working together, profits happen. The key is what are you doing with those profits? You're not just, you know, there's, there's a budget for those profits, right? But the key is how are you paying it forward, right? You're, you're, you're checking the box on the three wins. This is what we said we were going to do. And this is what we achieved. And, and here's the way we're moving in this direction. Here's how we're researching, you know, doing research and development. Here's how we're going about this thing. And there's a plan. And what that cuts down on as much as anything else is, well, this is just a, a, a let's just make money and, and maximize. And it's a greedy situation and people are shady. And I don't really know what, you know, how does it benefit this person and where do I fit in? And it takes all of that uncertainty, which is going back to the word fear, it takes that out of it. And certain people need to know certain things and certain people don't need to know other things about how, you know, it it all kind of comes together, which is natural and appropriate. But at the end of the day, you've got people, people want to be a part of something meaningful. No question. And that's that's what I hear from you guys that you're, you're all about. Yeah, even as an ESOP, right, where, you know, our folks, and we've got these systems in place where we, uh, like the great game of business, right, where we've got financial transparency, we've got everybody sort of rowing in the boat, same direction, everybody understands, and if we hit our numbers, everybody gets a nice bonus, even in a situation like that. um, But one of the things we have always done since the inception of the organization was um, given money away uh, and allowed our people to earmark some of that, you know, to a charity of their choice. So we set aside as, yeah. you know, part of our, as you mentioned, you know, we got this sort of profit at the end of the day. What are we going to do with it? Well, yeah, we're going to reinvest some of it. We're going to make sure we squirrel some away for a rainy day. Um, one of the things we've historically all, and, and we've always done is set this aside. I had this conversation with our trustee when we became an ESOP because I said, this is critical, um, you know, to yeah. who we are. And we want to continue to do this. And uh, our people love that about us. Again, despite the fact that we're an ESOP and they're giving their own money away now, right? Because otherwise that would help boost the share price. Uh, but yep. we give some of that. And every year, at the end of the year, they get to all sort of say, you know, I want my money to go to this one and I want my money to go to that one. And uh, I think it, it really uh, does give us an opportunity to live out that purpose of, of being a blessing and allowing and inspiring them to be a blessing as well. Hopefully not only with that money, but with 
with the, uh, you know, the wealth that we hope to help them build as an employee-owned company over a long period of time. And as they get further along in their careers and retire, and hopefully with a very nice nest egg, uh, they get to the point someday where they can, you know, uh, sort of do that themselves, right? So um, just a, a, a very encouraging for us to be able to, 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 to do some of those things. Well, you know, I think the, the, the opportunity for people to uh, understand that they're part of a big story and they see how it impacts them, but also building that, that uh, generosity mm-hmm. uh, mindset. You know, you, at the end of the day, everybody's got that what's enough number. And it's different for different people, right? It, it just is. You know, what, what are you, where are you from? Your background, everybody defines that in a different way. But people giving them the chance to define that and seeing how they make progress towards that what's enough number and seeing about all the different things that they can be a part of in their pursuit of that. Because sometimes you can be a slave to that number. Corporations can be a slave to the what's enough number. And sometimes it is based on arbitrary facts and and things that don't really matter at at the end of the day. And sometimes it's based on really meaningful things. And that's one way to do it is basing it on an opportunity to pay it forward. And you just, you see it, the countenance of people change when they have opportunity to be a part of that. Yeah. I mean, unnecessary to, to, to put on a yoke that you don't need. I mean, it's self-imposed, right? I mean, you know, I hear people talk about, you know, well, I want to be a $250 million company someday. I'm like, well, well, that's fine, but why? I mean, well, you know, what's magic about that? Well, it just, you know, I want to be a, t- yeah. and I'm like, why do you put that yoke on yourself and your people and, and, and uh, it's fine if you want to be tuned, but maybe don't put that in a, in, a, in, a, in a time period, you know, maybe stretch it out. In 10 years, we'd like to do this. We have an aspiration to do this. That's, that's fine. But again, be, uh, really that idea of, of being a slave to that number is a real danger, I think, particularly for a lot of us CEO types who just kind of like, you know, we've got a goal. We're going to get it gunned by golly. Um, you know, so I think just being aware of that is, is, is key. And then... Um, you know, I, I, I just think as business, uh, as business leaders and as, uh, you know, we've got a tremendous opportunity to, to create these cultures where, you know, our board comes and visits with us, you know, when it's not COVID. <laughs> um, so we're having our first in-person board meeting here coming up in August uh, since we, since you know, COVID started. And I'm really looking forward to it because one, one of the things I really look forward to is our board interacting with our people. And I think a lot of folks, uh, CEOs might shy their board away from that. I just can't wait for them to interact with their people because it's uh, the magic that happens, the, the, the really, truly beautiful people that we get to have work here, um, the way they care for one another. Um, you know, they're, they're people, they describe our work environment as, as, as their family, as you mentioned. Um, the word love, you know, comes up a lot. You know, people do have many best friends at work. Um, we laugh a lot, you know, one of our, one of our core values is to have fun together. Um, you know, so those are just great opportunities for us as business leaders, I think, to, uh, to really change the way it, the, the, it is, you know, I mean, the, the 80% of people who hate their jobs, uh, we've got an opportunity to, to create environments where they, they can really enjoy what they're doing. And, um, 
you know, it doesn't mean it's always easy. It's work, right? I mean, it's, you know, we, we live in a land of thorns and thistles and, um, you know, everything's fighting against us all the time, uh, you know, to sort of make things hard. You know, my theme and our, our family theme is not only Philippians 2, but nothing's easy, right? And uh, thank you. It's, we live in a, in a tough world and it's working against us all the time. But, um, you know, fighting against that with people you really love and enjoy and you've got a common purpose that is bigger than yourselves is a, just a fantastic opportunity. I think business leaders have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, I know you've shared this story before and, and uh, with different groups and uh, you know, hopefully this is a great way to uh, take your story and, and some of the lessons you've learned and some of the things that you're a part of and how you're trying to do this to a large group of folks. And, and what we want is for, uh, people who are aspiring to lead their businesses that they own, or if they're even if they're not an owner, take these lessons and 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 take them into their business and affect change, positive change within that the 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 culture of their business, uh, working with their different people, the way they do things, um, and really you know kind of create this uh, you know this opportunity for uh, people to to know that their work every day matters. Uh, it matters uh, not just in, you know, some, some number uh, that somebody put out there to say, hey, we, we did it or we didn't do it, but it matters in the sense of, uh, you know, something that is uh, for a long term. And, you know, you and I have a, a, a little bit of a, you know, different conviction, long term versus eternity are two different things. You know, we want businesses to last for long term and do you know, but eternity is the impact that we're trying to really talk about here. And, um, you know, business leadership is just one way uh, to be able to give people an opportunity to see what some of those uh, things are and, and understand that, uh, you know, the essential ingredients may be around for another 250 years, but, you know, at some point things change and along the way, who did you for, you know, from an eternal perspective and, and, how did you uh, allow their life to kind of, you know, make something that was, uh, you know, may be of some, some value that, you know, may not have otherwise been. And that's really what is attractive about what you're doing and what your team is doing at Essential Ingredients. Um, that, that really is what, uh, what makes it special from what we've heard. And we really appreciate you sharing the, some of that story. And, and what I hope is that people can get in touch with you and, and some of your folks who kind of glean some of these details a little bit further. I know that you can point them in the direction of tugboat and um, you know, some of the lessons there. And uh, what I'd like to do is just put everything in the description section of this video and, and just the best way to get in touch with you. And um, we, uh, we, we thank you for, for uh, sharing the stories and thank you for uh, being vulnerable because that's really what, you know, what you've done, you've talked about mistakes, you've talked about lessons learned and not knowing it all from day one and having to absorb wisdom from other folks. And we appreciate that very much. No, I look forward to, uh, uh, yeah, anybody wants to reach out and, 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 you know, happy to spend time talking about these things. Uh, again, I think it's a great opportunity for us to fulfill our purpose by doing that and, uh, you know, welcome, welcome those sorts of inquiries. So, uh, Thank you for hearing me out. And again, we're not perfect here. We, we got lots of warts still, but uh, uh, that's just the world we live in. So uh, thank you for, for, for this time, Russ. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, thanks everybody for joining us here on the uh, episode of the Three Wins Podcast with Chris Maynard of uh, Essential Ingredients. And uh, Chris will be in touch. We'll stay in touch and, and we'll have a refresher 
uh, here after a while and, and kind of see where you guys have gone and what are the, what are the things the Lord's, you know, the paths the Lord's led you down and some of the successes and different stories. And uh, until then, we appreciate everything very much and, and blessings on you and your team as you go forward. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Three Wins Podcast. We have links to some awesome resources in the show notes. And if you haven't already done so, please click subscribe so you won't miss any future episodes of the Three Wins Podcast. This is Sean Lydon signing off for now. Until next time, we'll see you then.